listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, this morning, we're not going to do the typical thing where we walk through a passage of Scripture. Um, so you, if you were good at the kids where you grew up doing the Bible drills, uh, maybe you can help those next to you this morning because we're going to look at a lot of different passages because we're talking about a topic that is just massive. In fact, we could spend weeks and months uh, talking about what we're going to see today. But I'll begin this way. A, a man, a theologian, pastor named A.W. Tozer once wrote these words. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I believe that to be a very true statement. What he's talking about is our theology, that what we believe about who God is and how we get to know Him. So he's saying that our theology is the most important thing about us. But I would add something to that statement. I would add this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, and the most visible part of our theology is the church. In fact, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, and you know, what we believe about the church is extremely and vitally important to so many aspects of being a believer in following uh, Jesus Christ, but when I say the word church, I know there's a lot of things that come into our minds, and because words really matter, like if I was to walk into a context and use the word star, I mean, it could mean this bright thing if you saw the sky last night with no clouds in it, or maybe an athlete, or an actor, actress, and words mean different things. Um, if you grew up in the south, like south of I-30, um, somebody might ask you, do you want a Coke? And if you're not from around here, that doesn't mean what you think it means. It really just means, do you want a soda? Do you want a pop? You go north of I-30, and someone, if they ask you that, they mean, do you want a Coca-Cola? And so words, they really do matter. <coughs> I have learned this. Up the IV. Yeah. We got some nurses in here. <laughs> that we do. Excuse me. So it is important that we understand and we know what we mean when we say church or the church. But have you ever thought, stopped to think about what does that word even really mean? Well, if you study the ancient languages, the Greek is the word ekklesia. And it's a very simple word that only means assembly or gathering. And so it can mean a wide range of things. In our context, it can mean a civic group that gets together and they have lunch, they might raise money, serve in the community. That's an ecclesia. You could mean a sporting group that you are together. Maybe you uh, work in a certain place. That is an ecclesia. It's a gathering of people. So then why do the translators not just use the word gathering or assembly? Why do they translate it church? 
<coughs> in fact, when you look through the New Testament, you're going to see it 114 times. So why do they use that? Why do they not just use the word assembly or gathering? It's because the translators chose this word because there is no Greek word for this, but they wanted to convey something that means more than just a group that gathers together and does a few things uh, in harmony together. They chose it because it's a group of people that have come together that are very unique for a single purpose. In fact, I'd love to kind of talk about what does that really mean. And so when we think about the church and what is an ecclesia, there's really two pictures you see in the New Testament, or in the Bible in general, really. The first thing is an idea, did you know that there is actually an invisible church? What I mean by that, it's the church that God sees. And he can see the things we can't see. He can see to the end of time that he's not bound by that. In fact, there is an invisible church. It's a group or an assembly of Christians, of believers, that will gather at the end of the age around the throne. In fact, you see a great picture of this in Revelation chapter 7. In verse 9, he says this, that after I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation of all tribes of peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I love thinking about that picture of the church, that there's going to be people gathered too many to number around the throne. People that we get to read about like Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Mary and Peter and Paul and Elizabeth. But there'll be people that we've never even known that'll be gathered there together. But there's also not just an invisible church, the church that we can't see yet. There's a very visible church that we can see. The church that we can see today. In fact, you read through your New Testament, you're given a lot of different word pictures about what the church is. It's talked about as a family in 1 Timothy. It's used as a metaphor of a body. We're going to talk about that. The bride in Ephesians 5. The new temple in 1 Peter. The holy priesthood. Branches of a vine is a description. An olive tree, fields of crops. And so when we think about the church, I want us to know that I believe there are three things, three identifiers that are true of every true believing, we would say, New Testament church. Whether they're here in White House or Tyler or around the world, there's three identifiers that I would hope things that would come to our minds. And here's the first one. A church is the people of God. Because God's purposes are not limited to just individual salvation or salvation of individuals. Now, hear me on this, that salvation is a personal thing. I'm a believer, but I can't be a believer for my children. Yes, I can live an example, but my faith doesn't get credited to them. And if someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they have to do that. They can't do that for you. It's very individual in that. But God is taking every individual that comes to him for salvation and he is creating a unique people. In fact, you see it through all the Bible. You, you see it in the Old Testament as a group called Israel. 
in chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 1 through 3, he's talking to Abraham. And he says, go from your country and your kindred and from your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. He's calling out a people that he is creating for himself that is then going to bless the world. And then you see in Leviticus 26 is another great example. Where he says in verse 12, that I will walk among you and I will be your God. And notice what he's doing. And you shall be my people. And this group was known as Israel. They were a unique group that God was using. But then you come to the New Testament. And you see what God has been working all throughout time. In the New Testament, this unique group is called the church. Where Gentiles are now included in this family. First Peter is a great example. In verse 9, he tells us that. You're a, ro- a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that he owns. He goes on in verse 10 to say, not that you were a people, but now you are God's people. And so the church, the first thing I would hope to come to mind, identifier, is that we are a people of him, that he is creating for himself. But it's also created Another identifier is the body of Christ. It's one of the metaphors that we get. And you see this. The church is a group of believers that are united, not just to come together and sing some songs and do some good things. They're united in Christ Jesus. That no earthly leader, Clint and I, yes, you would go to maybe, I don't know, do we even have an org chart? I don't know. Maybe on the website or something like that. It kind of has a flow to it. More of an an amoeba. But yes, you look on paper and we're considered the pastors of this place. But we're in under no illusion that we are ultimately the leaders of Christ's church. We hope he uses us. We hope that the gifts that we have are effective in the ministry of the church. But Christ is the head of the church. And so the church is a group of people that God is creating that is submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But here's the third one. It is a covenant community. And I will say, it'd be hard to say for every generation, but I believe that we live in a generation that people jump and hop churches and don't think enough about that you really are in a covenant community with a group of people. And we need to take that very, very seriously. That Christianity is not just this individual thing. It's a family thing. It's a communal thing. In fact, the Christian life, and you're going to hear more about this, can only be fully realized in relationship with other people. It can't happen sitting in your home, listening to something online, watching some podcasts, reading some books. The Christian life cannot be fully realized without other people. So the church is a group of people that do more than just hang out, sing some songs, and even do good community service. The church is a group of Christians that are bound together through the love of Christ. In fact, the New Testament uh, says this in so many ways. Well, here's two quick ones. Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with a brotherly affection. And they'll love this last part. Outdo one another. Try to be better than other people at showing honor to each other. Imagine that setting. 
Where it's a group of people that are coming together, not for selfish needs or things, but they're coming because they want to outdo the people around them and showing them honor. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and listen, and there are no divisions, not a single ounce of division among you, but that you may be united in the same mind in the same judgment. So Christians are not just born again individuals. We're born into a family, into a covenant community. So the church, it is an ecclesia. It's a gathering. It's an assembly of people. It's a group of people that are brought together for something unique. In fact, it's a group of outcasted orphans that God makes his children. It's a group of individually-minded rebels that begin submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's a group of selfish and needy sinners that are bound together by love. So it's the people of God, the body of Christ, and it's a group that is in covenant community. It's God's people following Jesus and loving each other along the way. But you know, a true church, that is going to be true of them. But you know, churches today, you could look here. And what else you could look in? Tyler, maybe you're a part of a great church. We hope you are. Maybe if you're passing through. But we're all still unique in a lot of different ways. And we know that Bethel is a little bit different in other, than other churches. That Bethel is unique. That's right. And so we're going to break down a little bit about some of the ways we think Bethel is unique. But first, again, let's reemphasize what's not. And so, y'all, everything Mark just said, that is constant for all God's people at all times in all places. Yeah. Absolutely. If you ever go to church that says, oh, we think we should be about some other thing, run. That, <laughs> but what we're talking about now is in light of what God reveals in the Scripture, in light of what God has called us to do, how do we put hands and feet on that in White House, Texas in 2019? And so the way we do that, the way we phrase that is our vision statement. We, the way we like to say it is our vision statement, y'all, is what we're doing mm-hmm. no matter what we're doing. So no matter what we're doing right now in a church service, if we are teaching some first graders, if we are taking some students to summer camp, if we're sweeping the floors, if we're stacking chairs like we're going to do at the end of this service, no matter what we're doing, it's all for the purpose of this vision. And it's got three parts. The first one's this, growing community. That's what we want Bethel to be about, growing community. And, you know, if you think about it, this is a very odd thing in our world to begin a church vision statement with. Because I think most people, most of us as we sit in churches, if we had to write our church's vision statement for them, it would say, growing who? Me. The church's purpose, and often the filter we use to determine whether a church is a good church or a bad church, is often, is it growing me? Me. Yeah. A me monster, right? <laughs> Should drive his vision statement. And so we tend to do things, and we all do this. I, I've done this. You know, we, we go to a church, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, and we leave, and we start kind of evaluating what we think about that church. And it's usually things like, well, I like the pastor, I didn't. I like the sermon, or I didn't. I like the music, or my, my kids had fun, or uh, I met some people that were kind of like me, and I liked. And, you know, all of that, hear me, is perfectly Natural. Except evaluating sermons. Except, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Everything else, y'all, is perfectly normal, perfectly natural. 
but it actually has nothing to do with how the scriptures say that we grow. Because it leads to what I like to call the Texas Day Brazil approach to church. Have y'all been to this place? Texas Day Brazil? Man, (laughs) y'all. Disney says it's the greatest place on earth. Disney is lying. Texas Day Brazil is the greatest place on earth. My wife took me there for my last birthday. That was my birthday present. Y'all, I thought I liked steak until someone served it to me from a sword. (laughs) There's like any given time, there's like 10 guys with swords filled with steak. And you don't even have to get up. They bring it to you. Just like me, we we could be at Texas Day Brazil right now, (laughs) just like this. And they just walk up to you with a sword full of meat. They're like, you want some of this? And of course, yes, you do. (laughs) As much as you want. And then if that's not enough, they have something over to the side that they call the salad bar. That is underselling it, Okay. This is a feast like I've never seen before. They have lobster bisque and sushi, and like the salad is just a little part of it. And you can go get as much as you want in the exact quantity. That's, that's why you go to Texas State Brazil, right? For a nominal fee, you can get exactly what you want in the exact quantities you want. And y'all, that is most people's relationship with their church. I'm here to get exactly what I want in the exact quantities I want. And the Bible says you will never grow that way. The Bible gives us a different picture. And it's, uh, it's one of the times the Bible, the, the Bible uses the analogy Mark was talking about of us as a body of Christ. Let's turn there. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. It says this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes what grow? The body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. So y'all, in the context of this verse, of this analogy, what grows? Does just a hand grow or just a foot grow? Mm -hmm. The body grows. How many bodies are there? One. And so the Bible's putting this not in the picture of we are each our own individual spiritual entity that grows on our own and independently, but they are just, we are just one part of a body that grows. And, you know, this is so amazing about how God has designed us. Yes, like Martin just said, he speaks to us. He works in us. He reveals himself. We come to faith individually, but then he saves us into something way bigger than ourselves. And so the biblical picture, y'all, isn't I grow. It's we grow. It's when the body grows, I as the individual part grow with it. And so our mission here is to encourage you to think beyond how I grow and instead think, how do we grow? Now i got to tell you guys, this makes a big impact on how we structure a lot of the ministries around mm-hmm. here. You know, every once in a while, me and Mark will get questions about, hey, why do you do this program or not do that program? Nine times <laughs> out of ten, the answer lies somewhere in this part of our vision statement. And so, for example, this is why this White House campus was here, is here. Uh, Because back when Bethel was just one campus, we decided not to have a structure that said, okay, we're going to build the largest building we can afford to fit as many people in one spot that draws them out of their communities to here. And in that context where just a very few people kind of serve and do the ministry and the rest consume that ministry. We decided against that model. We decided instead we are going to reach out into other communities. Because in that context, the body of Christ, the different parts, 
love and serve and know one another. And that's how people will grow spiritually. Y'all, that's why whenever there's a ministry need, every time, listen, every time, the first place we look, our first stop is going to be to choose someone in our body to serve and love and meet those needs. And so, you know, let's use an example, maybe our second and third grade class. Let's say maybe we need someone uh, to serve in there and invest in there. Uh, that means we're not going to immediately think, okay, who can, from the outside can we bring in that's maybe the most talented or has the best resume or has the most free time or the most whatever it is, fill in the blank. We're going to look to our body because God's word promises his provision for them, he has put in his people, he has put in his body. And he's promised his provision for you, for your growth, is to serve and meet that need. And I would even say it's even things that, we hear this all the time, that we believe there's ministry that we would love to see happen, and we're just waiting for God to bring the right person, yeah. for God to lay it on their Absolutely. heart to then lead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, this is why, you know, if anyone ever asks you to be a life group leader, uh, mm -hmm. listen, we are under no impression <clears throat> that you are the best, most talented teacher in the world. <laughs> you can stop trying to convince us of that. We already know, okay? <laughs> because we are not trusting in a model that says we're going to find the most naturally talented teacher and fill their house with like 35 people where one person does the serving and 35 people do the consuming. That's not what we're after. If, we, if you get asked to be a life group leader or something like that, all we are asking you to do is gather God's people together so that they can love and serve one another so that each part can work for the growth of the whole. That's what, that's what we're doing. Um, and so uh, our vision here, it, it, it's not I grow, and that's very countercultural. Our vision is we grow. But grow into what? What are we growing towards? And that's the next part of our vision statement, the second part, building leaders. That's what we want to do here. And I would say, Mark, I would say this is probably the most easy to misunderstand yeah, for sure. part of our vision statement. As Mark's pointed out many times, if you've ever come to a Discover Bethel, it all depends on what your definition of a leader is. And there are as many definitions as there are books on leadership uh, in the bookstore, and that's a bunch. So let me just give you a very simple, easy definition of a leader, what a leader is in Scripture. What do we mean, what are we trying to build when we say building leaders? Well, for us, a leader is someone who effectively points others to Christ. That's it. That's what a leader is. You could insert the word disciple, someone who's adopted the Great Commission, to go and make Jesus known. And so, y'all, that means there are plenty of people who in other contexts outside the church may be great leaders, may be phenomenal leaders in those context, but not in the context of the church. Why? Because they don't point others to Christ. That's what a biblical leader is. Let's look at Matthew 5, 16. A leader is someone who does this. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's a leader. Someone who, when people look at their life, their response is, wow, what a great God. Wow, that must be who God is and what he is like. That's what we're looking for here. And you know, it's interesting on this one, it's actually, the Bible probably makes it easier than any other part of our vision statement to quantify how good a job we're doing. <laughs> and here's how. Biblically, you can tell if someone is a leader, if someone is a disciple by, the, by this, if the people they are investing in go and invest in other people. That's the telltale sign. And so in the New Testament, you will not find a group of believers who meets for more than like five minutes before the people leading, the people who are in that group pointing others to Christ, before they start pulling others inside and calling them to lead. 
and calling them to go point others to Christ. It's all through the New Testament. Let's look at one place. 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul, a leader, is speaking to another young man, Timothy, who he is calling into leadership and who he has invested in. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here's what Paul is saying to Timothy in this verse. He's saying, Timothy, don't let it stop with you. Timothy, I've, I've taught you the word. I've given you my time. I've given you my love. I've given you my life. I've taught you everything I need to know. Don't just say, oh, thanks. That was great. And then let it stop. Keep it going. Keep passing it on to others who, who will then pass it on to yet more people. And that's what God is calling us to do. And so some of you here this morning, you may be, need to be like Paul. You know, you have been serving and you've been investing in others and loving and serving. And it's time for you to go find people and invite them to do likewise. Invite them to do what was done for them. Uh, you know, and that's why we say, listen, if you're serving, if you're leading anything here, part of your job description, part, is, it's not just teach the lesson. Part of your job description is invite others along. Bring others along. Invite others to come and do likewise. That's what a church that's building leaders looks like, teaching and equipping people to point others to Christ. You know, there may be some of you here this morning who are like Timothy. Man, people have invested in you. People have served you. Maybe you've been in church since you were a kid, and for decades people have taught you the word. Maybe there's people who have stepped in in times of life crisis. You know what? It's time for you to go and do likewise. It's time for you to hear what Timothy did. And you know what? Timothy did it. He led the church. In Ephesus. So, you know, I, I got to tell you, I was, uh, I haven't been a pastor that long. And I grew up in church. I was in church for a long time with the completely wrong expectations when it came to this stuff. You know, I kind of grew up in a church where I expected all the ministry would be done by the pastors. And so, you know, when I was in high school, let's say in a youth group, and the youth pastor left, well, hit time out on all the ministry, all the ministry pauses. And then we bring in a new youth pastor to then continue ministry. And as the ministry grew, as the youth group grew, well, we just hire in more pastors, and they're the ones who keep doing the ministry. And listen, listen to me carefully on this. Y'all, the flaw in my thinking back then had nothing to do with whether to hire a youth pastor or not. The flaw in my thinking was that I had nothing to do with meeting the ministry needs of the church. Mm -hmm. That's where I was wrong. And it wasn't even on my radar. I certainly had no concept that not only was God calling me to contribute to the ministry needs of the church, but that he was also calling me to lead and equip others to do the same way. That's where I was wrong. So, you know, I think what we're trying to do here is a more scriptural-based, a more God-designed approach to building leaders. And so, you know, occasionally we try to plan for the future. We may not always be able to tell it, but we do try to plan for the future as best that we can. And as we think and we plan for the future, y'all, our, our first stop, again, the first place we go is to think, who in this body can we invite to lead? As we plan for growth in, in all the different areas, maybe we need to multiply ministry. Plan A for that is for our people who are currently leading to do what Paul did with Timothy, invite others to come along. And we especially love it when people come to us and say, I mean, Club 45 yes. is a great example. Hey, we'd love to start something for the fourth and fifth graders to break them out. And we'd been thinking about it, Yeah. but it was God's people coming saying, hey, I've got an idea. And Seeing a need yeah. and, and answering the call to meet that need. And it, all there's a million examples 
that has gone way better than it ever could from some <laughs> central planning uh, where we, you know, get in a room and hash everything out and have it all perfectly designed. Because God's people are responding out of just a genuineness mm-hmm. of his spirit at work uh, within them. So, um, that, so that's plan A for how we want to multiply ministry is current leaders inviting others along. And y'all, plan B is to refer to plan A. That's the plan. That's all there is. And so what we want to create around here, and many of you have experienced this, is a culture of invitation where you're not around for very long before you, you get a 2 Timothy 2.2 type of ask. And so there's a, a phrase I would love for everyone in here to memorize, and it's this. Come with me. Come with me. Hey, I'm going to go to the best of my ability, love and serve others. Come with me. Let's do this together. As we do that, and we, we will be a church that builds people who point others to Christ. That's what we're after. Well, there's one more uh, piece of our, our vision statement, and it's foundational, y'all. So without this last piece, we can never grow. Without this last piece, we can never point other people to Christ and be leaders. And it's this, living generously. Living generously. I want to read John 13, 34. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you. In the same way I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So, y'all, this is nothing new. This this isn't breaking news here that we're supposed to love each other. What does that mean? What does the Bible mean when it says to love each other? Does that mean, you know, we see each other in Walmart and we just get, we're filled with warm fuzzies? Can you buy them? (laughs) If only. (laughs) Does that mean, you know, we even just, we even like each other all the time? True. <laughs> True. Well, what Bible means by love one another is found in this context, in the context of what of when Jesus says this. Jesus says this to his disciples when he is about to do the most surprising, mm-hmm. the most humiliating, and the most profound act of service anyone has ever done. Now, the creator of the universe is about to wash his disciples' dirty feet. And he says, but actually, this is nothing. This is just a picture of what I'm about to do for you. The creator of the universe is about to die on a cross for you. And so I'm washing your feet just so you'll understand what is happening when you see it. He says, that's how you love. You give your life away. You live generously at the cost of your life. That's how we love each other. We live generously and give our life away. And I got to tell you, this is a vital principle for your soul. It absolutely is. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus says this. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, so if any of us would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? For what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus makes two promises in these verses. Promise number one, if you live a self-focused life, you will never find what it is you're looking for. It will always evade you. That's promise number one. Promise number two, if you lose your life, if you live generously, if you give your life away in my name and for my sake, Not only will you find life, you'll find me. That's the promise. You know, I got to tell you guys, there are so many great things 
about being a pastor, and Mark would say the same thing. We wouldn't trade where we are for anything in the world. It's awesome. You know, there's some, th- some, some things that are frustrating sometimes, and I would put this at the top of the list. There's so many times, you know, we, we talk to people and we interact with people who are just constantly frustrated, maybe with the church, maybe with the people in the church, or maybe with God, or maybe with their own lack of spiritual growth, but are unwilling to do the one thing that the Bible says over and over you need to do if you want to experience life. Give your life to Jesus. And you just want to say, there's just one step. It's right there. All these other things you think you need to pursue for life, you'll never find it. Lose your life for his sake. And so we got to tell you, guys, that there's no sermon either of us can preach. There's no book I could recommend to you. There's no song that Adam can sing that will ever be a substitute for laying down your life in Jesus' name. Now, we believe in those things. I'm a nerd. I read a lot of books. I would love to recommend some books to you. We believe in preaching the word. We put a lot of energy towards that. We believe in worship. But y'all, if those things don't lead us, encourage us to lay down our life and to live generously, that are wasted on us. They haven't served their purpose. You know, I, I was thinking through these passages, and I've come to realize that just in my short time here at Bethel White House, the picture of what this looks like has really changed for me and been given to me in a new way. And I, I now there's a couple whose faces I picture when I read mm-hmm. verses like this. And many of you know them, Corey and Karen Mason. Some of you don't know them. They, uh, they were one of the first couples here in the church, helped with Mark start yeah, the church. Yeah, launched it. And, man, they dove in like they never have to church and loving people and investing in people. And uh, Corey taught a class, and he said, I've never taught before. We, when you <laughs> and to hear the story, correct me if I'm wrong, when you first asked him, hey, would you teach the Connections class, he was nervous. He didn't want to do it. Yeah. He was, I'm going to be a terrible teacher. Yep. Uh, and, man, that class got filled because God used him. Um, well, uh, eventually, Corey changed jobs, and that led them to move here. Uh, it was right when I came. I've been promised that was a coincidence. Yeah, we're hoping. Uh, <laughs> so they had to move. And, y'all, we had to find five new leaders to replace that one couple. Five leaders to replace all that they were doing. And I tell you what, it was an amazing thing when they began to talk about uh, when they were getting ready to leave this place. And you know what flowed out of them? We even brought them on stage. What flowed out of them, y'all, it, was, it wasn't any sense of tiredness. It wasn't any sense of, you know, there was no hint of like, man, I wish I had a couple of those Sunday mornings back, a little more free time, a little more me time. <laughs> None of that. What came out was tears over how blessed they felt, over how much they felt like they had grown, over how uh, lucky and blessed they were. They felt like as much as they had poured their lives out, they felt like they had received exponentially more. Men and women, this is what the Bible means when it says it is more blessed to give than to receive. This, while living generously, is in our vision statement because your soul is at stake. And y'all, that's just one example. There, I'm looking at so mm-hmm. many examples right now. And I, Mark, I'm sure you say the same thing. Over and over, anytime I've heard something Somebody say something like, man, Bethel is so special. It's because of stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I've heard people say a sermon was good. I've heard people say worship was good. I've heard people say a Bible study was good or his class was good. But that's not what makes this place special. What makes this place special is a group of people living generously. 
So I'd just love to leave you, you know, with a question. What's your relationship with your church life? What's, what is that relationship? It, you know, is this a place where you just come to listen to some sermons and listen to some music? Or maybe it's close, you know, and you need to go to church on Sunday, so you come here because it's close? Or is this a place where you are a part of growing communities, building leaders, and living generously? If it's not, here's my invitation. Give it a try. Give this vision of church a try. My guess is you, like me, have given the buffet approach a try before. And it's kind of like a Dr. Phil moment. How's that working for you? I got to tell you, it didn't work great for me. And so why not believe God and his word? And let's try church this way. And it's just like Clint said, that the way to do that is that we lay down our lives for others. That we're not living for selfish gain or to be noticed or so that others think great of us, you're doing things because we want to put others first, that we want to be a group of people that are giving our lives away and for the benefit of other people. And I think everything in life, you could fit into three categories that we see this. I think we're called to live for the Lord, or we'd say live for God. We call that worship in a lot of ways. But there's another one, live for each other. Man, we see that happening in life groups. Uh, we see that happening with our older uh, people teaching our younger people. You mentioned all the ways that are serving from worship to media to greeting. I mean, there's so many ways that we see people living for each other. But there's a third one. It's we want to live for those that are not yet here. To live for those that we don't yet maybe know. We would call that ministry to the world. So ministry to God, ministry to each other, and ministry to the world. And we try really hard to make our worship uh, gatherings worshipful, uh, focused on the Lord. It's not a lot of hype to it. We don't have a fog machine. I get getting asked about it, and I said, I'm going to put Bobby Freeman under the stage with a box of cigars. You know, he can make all the fog for us. It, you know, it's not entertainment because we want it to be focused on the Lord. We try really hard, and this church has been doing a phenomenal job of ministering to members, ministering to each other, those here. And I have felt that this past week. I've seen our church in the time that we had a guy had to get rushed to the hospital, and like someone beat him there. Like he's waiting on the guy to be brought in by ambulance. And, you know, that's just how this body works. But we want to focus now more on ministry to the world. In fact, this morning, we want to just begin pushing back the veil of talking about some changes coming to 2019. But here's a scripture that guides us. It's the Great Commission. Amen, Amelia? Here it is. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority I'm given to you, meaning you don't lack anything, and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of White House, Texas. Period. No, it says... Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. And notice the picture he has at the end of the age, when they will all gather. Listen to how Edmund Clowney says it in his book, The Church. The Great Commission is not a theme float for mission in a long parade of cultural triumphs. It is the marching orders of the Lord for His church. The Lord of the harvest calls us to call to Him to thrust forth laborers into the harvest. We must send, but He moves us to pray and He leads us to go. 
The church's primary task is to make disciples. And this task, the gifts of the Spirit, are directed. And we want to be a part of God's great commission locally, right here, regionally, and around the globe. In fact, currently right now, Bethel supports about 30 missionaries across all three campuses. Many of their pictures are back on the back wall. But here's what we've realized. It's hard for all campuses to know and to care and to support all 30 missionaries. So we're going to be kind of decentralizing that. Our missions pastor, Jeff Bias, along with our missions committee, which have representatives from all three campuses, each campus is going to begin uh, owning four to six missionaries, meaning it's up to us to know them, love them, support them, and to go to them. Now, can all other campuses go if they want to? Absolutely. But if we don't lead it, it will not happen. And so, in fact, we believe this while we're doing it. We believe that greater ministry impact will happen through more personal and meaningful relationships to those missionaries. So over the next two weeks, we're going to be introducing, well, who are our people? Who are ours that we're going to love, we're going to get to know, we're going to support, we're going to go and see, and we're going to have them into our home. And so over the next few weeks, you're going to get to actually meet some of them. I'm so excited about it. And others will get introduced to us. And so in conclusion this morning, you've heard a lot about the church, and we hope it's been helpful. We hope it's been meaningful. But no matter where you are, no matter what era you've been in that you may, may be a part of, when we see the New Testament church come on the scene in Acts, there's always three things that every church must be about. And if they don't do this, they cannot be considered a church. One, they teach and guard biblical truth. They don't do that, they're not a church. If we don't do it, we're not a church. Loving church discipline, it's required in the New Testament. And the third one is sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. So it's very fitting this morning. That's how we're going to close. We're going to close with observing one of the ordinances, the Lord's Supper. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.